what I love about Andrew and recording the 250 with Andrew. Andrew's always present, even when he's not present. Even when he's unable to actually be present at the start of a podcast recording, he usually shows up at the end of it. Hi, it's Darren here. Just a couple of quick things before we jump into the podcast episode proper. Uh, first of all, Andrew was not actually able to make the start of the podcast recording session. He was recording a podcast pilot on the West Coast. Don't worry, we are a Dublin-based podcast. We've always been a Dublin-based podcast. Uh, Andrew did manage to make it for the end of the podcast. You'll hear him come in towards the end, and we'll have a bit of a conversation and, and engage a bit more. Second of all, just a heads up, a bit of a kind of a warning for listeners. The podcast this week, we had two very accommodating guests in a very literal sense. We actually managed to take the podcast on the road, which is something we've been planning to do and want to do for a little while now. We were able to record in a space that was perhaps a little bit unconventional. So if the podcast does sound a little different, if the acoustics seem a little bit off compared to our usual recordings, that's the reason why. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our episode covering Marriage Story. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me this week are two very special guests from the Irish Times. We have Tara Brady. Hello. And we have Donald Clark. Hello. And the reason that we have these two very special guests on is because we're launching our Oscar season coverage. So we're going to be covering the remaining three films on the list that are listed for best picture this year. So this week we're going to do Marriage Story. In the middle of the week we're going to do Lady... Sorry, we're going to do Little Women. And then going into the Oscars, we're going to the presumptive favorite, which is 1917. So the reason that we asked Tara and Donald here to join us to talk about Marriage Story is because Marriage Story was the second, your second favorite film of last year, I believe. Yes, although we would admit that there's a certain arbitrary quality to these things. Yes. But that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's how it ended up after thrashing through the... Um, the uh, uh, the it results. Was, it was the second the second consensus choice of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, is that yeah. sorry, is there division? Is there like so? I don't think anything that makes it to the top ten of between the two of us would yeah. would cause division. I think you'll, you'll probably find one or two films which we may or may not reveal which they are, mm. um, which would be sort of you know top five and one, one of ours, but nowhere near the top five of the others, and they 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 have drifted down towards the mid twenties as a oh, result. Okay. Um, that's how those things work. Well, actually, I think we can reveal sort of. We can reveal a strategy. Is the one thing we, I mean, it's not hard and fast, that we tend to, being just two of us, is we tend to both submit a list of 15, was it or 20 each? Yeah. 20? Yeah, yeah, I think it was 20 each, yeah. which, are, uh, which are definitely in without telling the other what those 20 mm. are. So there'll be some it's overlap then. So then you end up with sort of, yeah, it's sort of a large poker thing. So then you end up with, let's say, 10 or 35. Or, and those are the top 10. Those automatically select themselves as the well, top you, 10. Well, you end up with sort of, yeah, exactly. And then you end up with sort of 35, should we say, in total, which are definitely in. And then we um, then we put on boxing gloves and punch out over the remaining 15 or so that are going to make it in yeah. that are not in our essential list. 
Nice. If anyone cares, that's how that's that's the procedure. Um, well, I mean, this is a podcast about a list about movies, so it's, it's like it's, it's you know it's that's how the sausages are made. <laughs> um, but then, so it's safe to say that the that Marriage Story would be in both of your top tens without you know laying any cards without it'd be yes, for both I of think, you. I yeah, think that's definitely. Right. Um, all right, then if we're not going to get which one of you prefers it more, it was also the thirty fifth favorite film of the year, and again, that's an arbitrary number. But I think for the Irish Times, it was I your... think to be fair, Darren, actually, I think uh, how we did that was we did twenty five. Yeah. Uh, in li- in a list, and then another twenty five, ah, okay. and I, I I we didn't really organize the other twenty five in order. So, ah, cool. uh, um, you know, it's it's such a strange Arbitrary, business, kind of yeah. rating those that many films in order. So it was part of the second twenty five. Let's put it that way. So it could be number twenty six, could be number fifty. Okay, so all ambiguous and all the paper. But uh, with the Oscars coming up, and with Marriage Story as one of the best picture nominees, but not one of the best director nominees, and arguably a film that has kind of fallen out of maybe the the, the hot race for the best picture prize, mm-hmm. would it be safe to say for both of you that it's your favorite of the nominees of the nine nominees for best picture? I think Parasite is probably my favorite. I think it's probably um, Dolls too. I think that that what Parasite is one of the those really annoying cases where it's released here um, on in the following calendar year so it doesn't actually make it into our 2019 list it gets kicked onto the 2020 and there's always a few films like that and they then then you end up at the end of 2020 going oh my god Parasite was actually released this year but yeah and you have to remind yourself of those things but yes I think calendar issues release dates is stupid yeah. there I think you may not have seen Parasite actually the time we did the, we did the list Oh, uh, yeah, no, I, I saw it after that. Yeah, so, so yeah. I think so there's there's that, that, there's that. there are some but, films in there that, you know, that one, very, very few, yeah. should be said, but a handful, only one of us have seen. And, um, uh, and I mean, that was the thing with, with release dates, you know, which is an infuriating thing, is that Parasite premiered at Cannes, you know, you know what, in May, nine months yeah. ago, I suppose it must be now, or... Um and it's and as we speak now, so it doesn't come out. It can come out a few days before the Oscars. It will indeed. It'll be out on Friday. Actually, listening to this this podcast. Yeah. But right. but Marriage Story then to talk about Marriage Story. What was it? Just very briefly for listeners who maybe who haven't seen it already or maybe thinking about looking at it on their their Netflix queue. What is it about uh, Marriage Story that kind of jumps out that makes it your second favorite film of twenty nineteen? Well, it's a very old-fashioned kind of drama, and I think it's the kind of drama, if it was in the Best Picture race 10 years ago, it would have won. Um, I, I, I think this year it's so higgledy-piggledy, and I think the voting system at the Oscars is so higgledy-piggledy um, that, 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 that those things are much harder to call nowadays. Um, and also, there, there's you can see the way the, the timings work. I mean, a really classic example, if you remember, like Spotlight suddenly sneaking up and, and Birdman a few years ago as well. And 1917 um, this year, yeah, arguably. Yeah, and there, yeah there, it's it's all to do with where, where the timing is, has placed them and it's given them an advantage. Um, I think I think Marriage Story is still, an, there's still a reluctance about, about voting for Netflix films, which is very unfortunate because I think, if you love cinema, you should be rooting for the Netflix films this year because nobody else is going to be making those films. Um, there, there are no studios who are going to be making a film like Marriage Story. Um, there's, um, and there's no studio that's going to be making a film like The Irishman. And there's no studio that's going to be making a film like The Two Popes. So if if you love cinema, those those are really the horses that you that you should be backing. And um, studios don't make those kind of adult dramas anymore. And um, there's obviously a lot of points of comp- a lot of reviews have made comparisons with Kramer versus Kramer. 
and some people would say it's a more progressive film or a less progressive film or you know, that it takes sides but the fact that you're having those kind of interesting conversations about it and that it, that it is a talking point movie you know with two characters and that you know I, I, I know people have had like fights after it and that sort of thing and that that's that's a really hard thing to engineer it's a very hard you can't just invent it it's something that you know comes along rarely I mean, there's actually quite a lot to talk about there just in terms of the Netflix stuff because the situation, Netflix is in a very weird situation with the Oscars where it is the studio with the most Oscar nominations but has somehow watched its two favourites. What would have been the two favourites going into the Oscar race just drop drop off and get left behind? I, I think it's I think it's favourite in two races now. I mean, one and a half maybe. It's favourite in documentary. I've forgotten, I've forgotten what the documentary is now. Which one do they have? Atlantic's or American Factory? Factory. I mean, I can't, yeah, one of um, and uh, Best Supporting Actress for and this. And Best Supporting Actress for Laura Dern, yeah. Because, I mean, I mean one can absolutely see the real, very real possibility of the Irishman doing um, uh, Colour Purple. Yeah. Um, uh, 11 nominations and not a single win. It's, it, I mean, put it, this, put it this way, there's nothing it's favourite for currently. And, I mean, yeah, and it's, no, and it's worrying because, I mean, bear in mind, they spent more than an estimated 60 million last year on Roma. And yeah. they, like, they really, really bad. And at that point, I remember there were industry insiders who were quoted in Variety and, and Screen International and various um, of the trade magazines. And they're saying, if they don't do it this year with Roma, they're never going to do it. And you're looking at it this year and you're going, God, you know, you know that may, maybe they're onto something. I'd say this, they could always tell themselves last year it was a foreign language film. I mean, the great irony this year would be a parasite. Yeah. Almost nothing, which I don't think will happen. I think people are going very hopeful yeah. about that. I don't think it will. But uh, you're absolutely right, Tara. I, I, what Tara says is that is that, that you know. I mean, they've had two cracks this now, and I think for those of us around this table who um, enjoy what Netflix are doing, and Tara's absolutely right, is that you know that something like The Irishman, no one else would make it. Yeah, and Paramount literally and wouldn't make it. Kinds yeah. of and I, sometimes I should say this is a sort of go off on it. One of the joys of having the time we have to speak in this, sometimes it doesn't work out. You've got things like, for example, um, like when you, well, I didn't mind the king. No, I didn't mind the king. No, no, I was thinking more of something, something like um, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Duncan, jo- thank you, Duncan Jones's mute. Duncan Jones, which nobody would, session. nobody would make. Then we saw, and they, well, yeah, but but mute been been around for years. Yeah. Then we saw yeah. that ah, this is why they didn't make it. The script is terrible. Yeah. But anyway, in I, defense I, of Earthquake <laughs> Bird, it's a very nineties film. It's a very okay. It's, a, it's Japanese sort of centric erotic thriller which is a genre that doesn't exist anymore yeah, yeah. maybe for, for good reason, reason? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. for a reason we've gotten a great sort of David Foster Wallace parenthesis there is that what I was getting to was that I was just supporting what Tara was saying is that there's a real reason for those of us around the table to, to kind of well I mean you know we want our film we want the films we prefer to win but for us to just sort of hope that maybe Netflix gets few which is that this year um, unlike last year they made a real effort to get their films into cinemas and yes. if we live cinemas Netflix are finally doing this now. They're only doing it a few weeks beforehand. A lot of American chains aren't playing ball. Some some British and Irish chains aren't playing ball. Not American chains in particular. Yeah, yeah. Here's a tangent on a tangent, actually, which hmm. is the the movie Marriage Story opens with a sequence, a montage that includes Adam Driver's character oh. um, Charlie going to a cinema. Mm. Um, that cinema is an AMC cinema in New York. It would not have screened Marriage Story. <laughs> okay, um, all right, yeah, brilliant, yeah brilliant. but I, but I mean, this is the thing: is that you just worry that if I mean they're not going to do great at the Oscars this year. There's, that's that much we know. They're, I mean, but if they if they do bottom out totally with with the Irish, which I think is possible, and they just end up with two, 
Um, or if they end up with one, I mean, which is, I think none is unlikely, but it's possible. And if one, they might say, feck it. You know, why are we bothering putting it's these things in cinemas? Because that's what they care about most. It's worth noting as well. You know, it's not just about the money spent. If you remember before last year, before they they went with, went on their big campaign with Roma, and if you remember, they, they rented out like back lots in Hollywood yeah. and projected yeah. it yeah. in this kind of old world style. They hired in Lisa Tabak, who was like Harvey Weinstein's right hand Oscarologist um, and and campaigner in chief and she you know she would have presided over films like the king's speech getting best picture which obviously it shouldn't have gotten a million years but somehow it did um uh, you know it, and she was there for the artist campaign she she's presided over many many successful oscar campaigns and you you have to wonder if she can't do it and if 60 million dollars yeah. can't do it you do have no lisa to toback was yeah. one holding the heads on the lavatories yeah. metaphorically malad metaphorically malad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly yeah. allegedly yeah. and metaphorically um but actually it's interesting in terms of that in terms of mentioning netflix's devotion to cinema and particularly the context of marriage story because marriage story is an interesting film in that respect because netflix you point out they're very willing to play ball this year last year with roma there was kind of a reluctance to roma got an exclusive cinematic window but a lot of their other releases last year didn't this year they've been better at that but particularly with marriage story they have made a very real effort it was shot on 35 millimeter film uh baumbach has talked about i think he's he's quoting somebody else i apologize i don't know the name off the top of my head talking about how like filming on film was very important for him and netflix went along with that they actually bought a cinema the paris theater in manhattan and they set it up so that it would be only showing Marriage Story. I believe it is still only showing Marriage Story, which is a phenomenal bit of rollout as well. Um, the, the like They're releasing these movies in the Criterion Collection as well, which yeah. is Roma will be the first Netflix film or first streaming service film to get a Criterion uh, release as well. They've announced The Irishman's going to get one, Marriage Story is going to get one, Atlantic, Story, Atlantic is going to get one, and American Factory is going to get one. So there is a real sense of Netflix like playing ball as much as they are willing yeah. to do. Yeah. And it's odd to see them kind of shut out as a result of that and it is interesting as well i i will say there, there's definitely there's definitely been some shift i mean for example the very very loud detractors like steven spielberg um do seem to have scuttled off and yeah. shut their mouths after their buddy marty got his movie made for 200 million dollars <laughs> and i don't think that's a coincidence um i think they you know must at some part of their reign go well i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm not gonna I'm not going to start treading on my on on my chum's toes. Yeah. Um so so you are seeing some you are seeing some kind of movement but I don't know that the, it might be just too little too late. I hope not. I and really, what are they going to do? I mean, like, you know, I mean, these guys who sit around and they finally get to see the, the other side of the wind, which is not a you know perfect reconstruction, but I mean, what are they going to do? The only people who would make the Orson Welles film in the yeah. end were Netflix. I mean, these guys who love cinema, what are they going to do? I mean, they can't really turn around and say it's the enemy of cinema when they're doing that sort of thing. And and also, you know, we we do know that Netflix, they started to drop on the stock exchange, started, their share price started to drop as soon as Disney Plus came into view. And that's kind of tragic because you can see this pincer movement coming at Netflix yeah. and Disney Plus are certainly not going to make films like no. Marriage Story they're, you know, they are really really not going to go anywhere near films like Marriage oh, yeah. Story the, the, the death squads are arriving for Netflix and they'll be I, bundled, I can, I can bundled, bundled into a boot and driven <laughs> off to a, to a secure location I'm now imagining the Disney Plus version of Marriage Story which would probably star Kylo Ren and Black Widow yeah, um, but yeah so, so before we talk about the film in a bit more depth just mm. broadly we have a kind of a three question format that we use here so I don't know who wants to go first Donald or Tara um, okay, Tara <laughs> made eye contact. Um, oh God, I shouldn't have done that. I should have stared at the window. But uh, so three questions we asked before we jump to the discussion, which is, and again, we literally open this podcast with a discussion about how lists are arbitrary and pointless. But 
Do you think that Marriage Story belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Hmm. Well, yeah, maybe just about. Yeah, I say no, I think it deserves, I think, I think it, no, I think it, I think you could make an argument for it. greatest ever made. I don't know. Cause then, you know, then you're, then you're getting into like the Kurosawa back catalog. And, there are and, seven uh, of them on there actually. Uh, um, you know, and, 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 and things like that. And th- yeah, that's where you're getting into like silent cinema and you're getting into like a, like a, that's a, that's a lot um, of, um, that's a lot of movies to compete with. Um, I do think it's a very, very good film. Um, I, I like what Bombach does. I mean, it's it's flawed in its way, but the flaws actually add to the sort of texture of the piece, I think. Um, that, that sort of slight autotherapy that like well, he's someone who loves therapy and goes to therapy regularly. And you can tell. Oh yeah. Um, you can tell all the all the way through the film. And you know, that's and I like that he's incorporated that into into his work. And it's fun guessing at the autobiographical bits from the from the outside and how it pertains to his um, relationship with Jennifer Jason Lee and how it pertains to his relationship with Greta Gerwig, um, and and all those things make it a make it a very very good solid text. But yeah, two hundred and fifty, yeah, possibly down the bottom somewhere. <laughs> well, it is. It, it's it's near enough. It's around about two hundred, and it is dropping rapidly. Interesting enough, it outlasted the Irishman on the list, which <laughs> is fascinating. Um, and again, the fact that it even made the list in the first place is arguably notable. And I think it speaks oh. to what you guys were talking about Netflix as the savior of cinema because this is a film that is a. 16 million dollar budget kind of like american indie style influenced by the you know in the work of like woody allen and, and arguably going back to dingar bergman and stuff like that yeah. but it, it's very much kind of like an indie art house film mm-hmm. but it has gotten this huge platform it appeared on the list within 24 hours oh, of it releasing on netflix not its release in cinema oh really that's which is quite impressive as well it's obviously it's been memed to hell and back yeah um, yes and, that's true yeah which is great like the internet has embraced this i mean we can argue for better or worse whether it reduces the film in some way whether it kind of like you know boils it down to, to you know a set of images without any context or meaning but it does suggest that there's an audience out there that you would not associate with a film like marriage story yeah. that have found well it. there's it's funny there's one of those kind of cliches that um the pr- people in promotion have always used is they've always liked the idea of people leaving the cinema and arguing it's like you will leave the cinema fighting with your girlfriend with your boyfriend about this and this and that and um uh, there was some of that going on. I mean, no, it wasn't cinemas. It was as you as you suggested. The online Darren, It was it was it was it wasn't actually after the cinematic release, but um, once it went onto Netflix, there was kind of furious debate, and we'll get onto this, in, I'm sure, in a minute about um, you know whether it favoured one or the other, and there was I think general feeling that probably it did favour Adam Driver's character more than more than Scarlett Johansson's, and those sort of old school things are one of the things that kind of drive popularity. I mean, I think talking about 250, I, I think it b- belongs on. This 250 is like the development too sarky about it, in that there's a hell of a lot of films that's better than <laughs> that, have, that have made it into the IMDb 250. A few of the top 10, I'd argue myself. Well, hey, but, easy there about Fight Club, Joker, and uh, was it uh, it's Joker in the top 10? No, Joker came in at nine, as did Avengers Endgame. They are very rapidly dropping. Okay, Joker right. dropping slower, but uh, they're both dropping. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, certainly, I think, in, in, <laughs> put, it, put it this way, not being too cynical about it, it, it belongs in that company, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I would, yeah. Tara's right. I mean, like it's you know when you're talking about thousands and thousands of films, it's 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 it requires a bit of a stretch to yeah. suggest that any film really deserves to be in a, in a two hundred and particularly one released in the past year where you yeah. maybe haven't had time to let it set. But you know, there are. I mean, I, I I would not be outraged by its yeah. inclusion. Oh, I am yeah. not. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to those. I am so. not outraged by its conclusion. <laughs> 
Inclusion. Um, and I mean, and again, I would argue that, uh, again, looking at the list, it's a list that is dominated by a certain type of film. This is a different type of film, and so it's good yeah. to see that in there. I mean, it's notable that, again, Woody Allen, for reasons that are maybe not related to the films, has seen his movies drop off the list in recent years as well. Yeah. Annie Hall, which would have been a fixture for over a decade on the list, dropped off in the past year um, for reasons that I don't think we need to elaborate on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But And I think that maybe you could argue that like it fills that void. A Boundback film fills that void. Mm. Um, I mean, you could argue that maybe if you have to have one of those, maybe have like Lady Bird from Greta Gerwig does something similar in terms of American indie style and is perhaps more even more outside the list regular purview for example yeah um and then second question uh tara would this be on your own personal 250 so if you had you know obviously a list of 250 of your favorite movies ever to read oh it down. gosh no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> that was a much quicker no, no, answer no no, that was, yeah, no, that no, no not 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 at all um yeah the, like there, there's a lot to get to i mean i'm i'm not kicking off the king and i to fit in marriage story it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> the king and i i love the king it's not and even I, the I, best watching hammerstein no, no it, i'd like to i like you brenner dancing it's not even the best watching hammerstein this has a musical number this is two musical numbers it has two musical numbers actually and i think i think that's the real kicker and you know and we'll we will get we will circle back to this the real kicker on um, the musical numbers and if you've got any doubt in your mind about it whose side it's on um they give scarlett johansson the frivolous, hey, hey, I won. The frivolous, <laughs> frivolous andrews yeah. sister style number and they give adam and they give and they give adam driver the greatest sometimes song ever written and the big showstopper for company and yeah yeah, exactly. L- life shattered me, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and Donald, would it be on your own personal TV? This is an interesting way to gauge whose list it was higher on. Well, it's, it's, it probably isn't a good good gauge. I'm going to say kind of no as well. Oh, okay. But I mean, I you know, when it comes to your own list, I am fanatically conservative in one regard, is that I always, and I fully put my hand on the heart and admit to this, favour the old over the new. And that's not because I say... I say urgently stress because I think cinema's gone to a part and they don't make any good films. I do not believe that. But I just have the Netflix, idea. he's coming for you. I, I, I do have that belief that you kind of require a film to percolate around. Yeah. Well, that's why Sight and Sound, their, their poll, you have to, it used to be, I th- and I, think, I believe it still is, it has to be over 10 years old. It used no, to no, be no, you know, have, well, that's what no, it used to be. Yeah, I know you know, they, 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 they're they have had some recent the list that, are, well. that, are, that are within 10 years. But, uh, but it, well, I mean, the, the Sight and Sound list settled into a canon yeah. you know kind of tw- what's dropped off this year and what's coming in exactly yeah. i mean you know and i sort of in that i mean i think that takes it too far even though both you and i tara voted the last one and, yeah. and i think our votes were uh, were all for films relatively old so <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh we can't really complain argue very hard that we're kind of making the case for the for the newer films but i think probably that goes too far in the sense i mean i quite like the idea that you have a canon of great Cinema and anything else which you can then disagree with or agree with, um, but I think probably that does require a bit of a g up, you know, that notion. That, and um, I'm willing in two years' time, I'm willing to bet that Susan Kane might have recovered its position in number one after Vertigo's brief blip. But we shall see. All right, then, and final question. I think I suspect we know the answer to this one. If listeners of this podcast have not yet found time to watch Marriage Story, 
would you recommend they pause the podcast, run out, <laughs> not even run out, sit down in front of the television, stick it on on Netflix where it's available right now? Yes, absolutely. You should definitely make the time for my. I, it, it's it's a it's a proper drama. That's the first thing to say. It's a proper adult drama, like of a kind that they don't really make anymore. It has two proper movie stars in it. Um, Adam Driver is Adam Driver. We know is fantastic, even in movies that don't deserve him to be fantastic. He was he was he was fantastic in the last two of those Star Wars films, which would have been absolute gibberish without him. Um, he he was he's fantastic in uh, Terry Gilliam's long-awaited and probably not long-awaited enough uh, <laughs> uh, man who killed um, Don Quixote and kind of holds him and Jonathan Price like hold it together in a, in a way that I don't think any other actor could. I mean he's he's incredibly likable and he works he works every acting muscle in this. Um, like it's a really 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 terrific performance and that yeah and, and the big being alive um, showstopper is like it's one of the best things moments on film like of, yeah. of the last few years. It's fantastic. And it, it, and it, despite being incredibly indulgent i mean that i mean that notion that you have not one song but two songs from and company, back to back as well yes is, is one of those things that um uh that um, well, i the people who he works with were, 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 have always been friendly producers but if they weren't you say no nah, you can't no nah, come on you can't have like can't just have like the other actors sing two songs from your favorite bloody musical <laughs> you, I mean, if tara was making it she would have two songs for the king and i yeah like i said you can't you know you can't have like getting to know shelby getting dance. to know you <laughs> and shelby dance <laughs> okay listeners we're, we're putting the marriage story podcast on hold this is actually a king and i podcast <laughs> yeah. um but actually it's funny you should mention that because sondheim is having arguably a moment which is interesting well two of the lead actor nominees who are competing head-on are both starring in movies defined by scenes involving Sondheim music. Yeah. Uh, it also pops yeah. up in The Morning Show, uh, where mm-hmm. Jennifer Aniston's character sings a Sondheim number as well. Right. Um, and, and, and of course, and of course, and, and we don't we often forget that Sondheim uh, co-wrote West Side Story, but um, at, oh, at, the end of this, at the end of this year, one of the big films at the end of this year, Steven Spielberg's take on West Side Story, which I assume Sondheim will be writing a new song for to try and get the best oh, uh, the best original song. He isn't Oscar. busy with his 30-year Richard Linklater project. Yes, exactly, and the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's, as Tara points out there, they're making a version of Merrily Be Roll Along, allegedly over 30, over 30 in years oh, wow. in real time, which, I mean, Richard Linklater is older than I am, and I would, you know, I would <laughs> obviously hope to be alive and, and, and doing this podcast in 30 years' time, but I feel a bit superstitious about kind of, you know, committing myself. <laughs> anyway, that's on the side. But yeah, that, as, as you say, sometimes on a, on, on a roll uh, for that reason, and Send in the Clowns, as you imply, appears in... Rather Joker. clumsily in Joker, I have to say. That, I mean, that, why why would you assume that Send in the Clowns would be a musical that you would perform in a film called Joker? I, <laughs> I mean, it's layered with Try meaning. A little it's harder. so much meaning. Um, yeah, it's great because they actually, the Vulture did a feature on that and they asked the music coordinator on, because uh, they couldn't get Phillips and they asked the music coordinator and he was like, we did think it was a bit on the nose. <laughs> and that's the statement. <laughs> like, that, there's no but, there's no if, there's no... Uh, there's a lot, lot, lot of on the nose stuff going on in that film. Yeah. Um, the red nose. Mm. Ah, and and so Donald, would you recommend people watch it? I would certainly, yes. I mean, but despite the fact we we sort of like you know backtracked it a little bit on it, and we're talking about you know its potential inclusion in the best two hundred fifty films of all time. Uh, I think we're both we both love the film. Uh, I I think I mean I, I suppose one of the things that struck me, I th- well, I suppose to a certain extent, you watch a lot of films, you watch a lot of films by a particular director, you inevitably end up putting them um, in that director's over placing the yeah. I think one of the things which is kind of fascinating about this film is the way in which it's like all the things that well if you'd like if you if you like Noah Baumbach maybe you don't but um, I suspect that many people who do like Noah Baumbach will feel ah here are all the things I like about him the best things I like about him gathered together in one project yeah. um, and then he started off doing a film that was probably 
arguably his most similar film was his second or third film. The Squid and the Whale. Second film. The Squid and the Whale, which was a film about the dissolution of a bohemian marriage. You know, yeah. that, uh, um, uh, looking at his inspired by his parents' marriage, yeah. and arguably marriage story is inspired by, by his, his own. own. Yeah. Um, and, so it comes uh, full circle. Uh, uh, which was uh, again a, a fun, a film that managed to be very funny at the same time as being kind of heartrendingly uh, hard to watch. And then he made a strange kind of passage. He drifted off of these very uh, cynical films, nihilistic films almost, or misanthropic is a better word, misanthropic films like Greenberg. Yeah, and... I think there's a very, there's a noticeable difference between the films he was making while he was with Jennifer Jason Leigh yeah. and the films that he's made since he And since I don't know Jennifer Jason Leigh, I've only met Greta briefly, with, with, with briefly but you get a sense that she's a warmer <laughs> personality than Jennifer Jason Leigh. No, there's, there's a real there's real darkness in, in films like yeah. like. Mark with the wedding, the wedding. Yeah. Um, the, and, and, then there, and then conversely there's a real lightness in, in films like While We're Young um, and Francis Ha, Francis ha yeah. Mistress yeah. America even which is one great of those and, and, and those films as Taras just had a lightness and, and a comedy to them and it's, it's as if he's combining those things those things are all coming together those forces in, in, in Marriage Story um, uh, and the other thing I would stress now as we're going to get into the film itself is the thing I think that's kind of fascinating about it is it's a film that that, that um, We'll talk about kind of the heartache in it and that that by now famous scene where they both totally lose it and tear yeah. stripping away. Ultimately in its heart, it's actually quite I mean, it actually is arguing for kindness. Yeah. To a certain extent. It's a, it's not a kind of it's, it's not an abrasive film like one of Bergman's um uh, um uh, arguey marriage films yeah. um which kind of sort of come to the conclusion at the end there's really no hope for people in relationships yeah. i mean this like, it does i mean essentially the, the, if there is a message there isn't a message really but then in close to a message it is it really be nicer to one another yeah. you know because it's only it's when they that that scene when they finally finally fall apart been, been yelling at one another what's interesting is that they tell more truths about what they actually feel when they're trying to be kind and trying to acknowledge the things they like in one another, when they start arguing, they actually say things they don't actually mean. Yeah. You know, the, 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 that just come out. And obviously are contrasted with things that yeah, have been said the, earlier the, and outside the, the, the scene. You already kind of the famous bit at the beginning where, where they're, as part of their therapy, they address the things that they admire in one another, yeah. feel more truthful than the, the shouting match. When they're, when they're, when you're they're turning into your mother, you're turning theory. into my yes, father, exactly. that sort of thing. You're all the worst parts of everybody, Maybe I think, that is reveals, the line. Yeah. That reveals a kind of sunny aspect to my personality that I hitherto suspected, but it, but it never actually come to terms with. Yeah, but you say that, but the film is absolutely full of barbs. I mean, oh, it, sure. it is full oh, sure. of absolutely. sly, saying, sly yeah, yeah. digs yeah. Um, at her expense. And all the way through, um, when you say hers, do you mean to a certain extent Jennifer Jason Lee's? Well, Who's I know where we go. Oh, okay. case no one's aware that Jennifer Jason Lee and Noah Baumbach were married. Between 2005 and 2013, yeah. I believe. And she she has done the decent thing, by the way, and come on and said she really enjoyed the film and so forth. Made no comment about its accuracy, or accuracy is the wrong word. Yeah. Made, made no comment about the extent which reflects their relationship, but she said she likes it. Yes, yeah, so in, in terms of... Oh, uh, that would not be for me to say. Um, <laughs> okay, wait, wait, let's just say it's about the character, but it's full of slight digs at her experience. Um, while on the surface being very magnanimous uh, to an extent that you wonder how much he was aware of it um, right. which which I think is interesting but it's one of the, I think it's one of the most fascinating things in the films are the digs that are made at her expense like her pilot looks absolutely dreadful <laughs> um, he's, he's off getting a genius grant and she's in this awful looking pilot that's and, true yeah um, you know, we I may mean, jump briefly into the spoiler zone
Okay, sorry, continue there. Um, but um, and there are there are small moments that are, that are really tiny, and you blink if you miss them. Uh, for example, when he's going along to the law to find a lawyer in California, and he discovers that you know she's already more, met more than a dozen have yeah, been blocked to him, yeah. and it's just this throwaway line. Um, but the the biggest throwaway line is like, oh yeah, incidentally. The, the fact that he's actually been cheating on her with someone that they work with yeah. and that that's that's what's called the dissolution of their marriage and that that isn't up front in the narrative it's not up front in in the film at all it's it's a kind of throwaway line when she's vulnerable in in Laura Dern's um high powered lawyer's office yeah, yeah. um and it and when in fact that's clearly what's been the that's clearly the root of the problem yeah. well, i mean yeah it, it's very clear later on when she's forcing charlie to take the, his kid around for a second halloween when she's saying oh it's the cousins the cousins don't want you there it, it would be awkward um i mean he's not going to fly back to new york it's like oh just take him around rodeo the the whole subtext of that sequence is that she is making him pay for the affair but she only says that afterwards she only says that on the conversation when she's at the party and he's standing out on his balcony mm. um i would say actually in terms of the meeting lawyers i actually i thought that the first time i saw it i saw it a couple of times uh since and the film is and again this is the thing where i have an issue with marriage story and my issue with marriage story is that it is almost too fastidiously careful to avoid falling into what might be seen as traps it reminds me a lot and again this is ironic given it's another film with zombie musical it reminds me a lot of joker where there's a sense that you can feel bound back kind of reaching in the dark realizing that's something that's potentially inflammatory and dangerous and that's going to cause a problem so i'll steer clear of that and there's a lot of kind of careful calibration of things so like what do you mean what sort of, what sort so, of well, the pick an example tara mentioned the she met with 11 lawyers right yeah she which is locked them. which well that, that's it right that you i watched the first time i saw it i thought that then there's a sequence earlier where she's talking with her mother and she's actually nicole says my sister had me meet all those lawyers, which does the thing of kind of shrugging it off. So it's like, oh, it's she wasn't actually being strategic or evil or manipulative. And there's another thing with the affair, with uh, with Charlie's affair, which serves, it, it often feels like the movie's afraid that you might feel a little bit too sympathetic towards Charlie and so needs to stack the deck against him because it wants you to be sh- absolutely clear that the movie doesn't think Charlie is a victim here, that Charlie is kind of re- as responsible for his situation as anybody else. The affair seems like it's almost kind of putting the hand on the scale. Because, I mean, it, it to be absolutely clear, it would be perfectly fine for Nicole to say, I don't want to be in a marriage anymore because I'm not fulfilled. He's not emotionally aware of me. He's not engaged with me. He's not, like, listening to mm-hmm. me. And it feels like that would almost be a braver and more interesting story to tell, to have one partner in the marriage just say, this marriage isn't working, and the reason it isn't working is because I don't feel satisfied in this partnership. And it feels like the affair exists so that there's no way you can look at the film and go, well, geez, she's being unreasonable to him or anything like that. Not that you would, but like somebody might look at it and go, well, isn't it horrible that she's victimizing him or whatever. And it kind of, there's a bit of that there. Like, it reminds me a lot of Joker, where Joker has this sort of same thing where it's, kind of hinting at stuff but not saying stuff so mm-hmm. you have like it's obviously evoking say taxi driver mm. but it's not going nowhere near the race <laughs> or gender stuff that's in yeah. taxi driver because it knows that that would be a kind of a well, the, risk, the risks are greater in joker because you're dealing with something that's inherently political yeah um uh whereas here i think you're dealing with internal story issues yeah. now of course those things can be- can when they go out to audiences can become yeah arguments between between 
you know, general champion. But that, that's it. Put it, it I mean, that way. Is but, it um, the, the gentleman who writes at, I'm trying to remember his name, but the guy who writes at uh, Vulture and does the Oscar features. And he's talking about the, how every year you pick an Oscar villain and how you pick the Oscar <laughs> villains generally, yeah, generally based on the social media chatter. Sure. And like he was talking about how Marriage Story, like for somebody looking at Marriage Story as an Oscar contender, the possibility of it being seen as being on Charlie's side exclusively. Because we talked about Char- Kramer versus Kramer. Mm. Kramer versus Kramer, I would argue, is very much on Dustin Hoffman's single father. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but what's what's interesting, and a lot of people have made this this point of comparison, um, and Kramer versus Kramer is in some ways is a more progressive film because, because Dustin Hoffman has to go and learn how to parent, which is something that he didn't know yeah, and yeah. didn't know how to do. Um, whereas, whereas you get the sense... Um, um, uh, Charlie's already actively involved in his son's life. There is no learning how to parent. It's it, so so. It's a, it's an entirely kind of different story. So in that respect, it's I I get the argument that it's a, a less progressive text, but I still do think it's it's largely on his side. Oh, absolutely. I think I think it it has this, so too, it has yeah, the surface of yeah. being magnanimous when in fact it's not I'm at all. Kind, magnanimous. I mean, I'm kind of surprised actually. So many people say, uh, so many critics and audience members have said that they think it is really balanced. I mean, it seems to me. I mean, I. I I don't know what what Baumbach says about this, but it seems to be pointedly yeah. um, well, skewed towards Charlie's side. He's the lion's share of the narration I mean, as set, well. Yeah, yes, I mean he's a. I mean it's. I mean they are co leads in this film, and that that couldn't be recognised as such by the Academy. I'm going to nonsense like her being a sporting actress, but clearly you know it is from his perspective far more often than it is from her perspective, which to be fair is not a non reasonable thing for someone who from for someone writing a film from that perspective who is the man in a relationship is not entirely outrageous yeah. that he should favor what he knows about which yeah. is his his, which own is side. his own his own position in the relationship this is the thing where there's kind of like this is a, an interesting tension for me as well is that like again this is the discussion that you have where is it a one-hander is it a, a two-hander and it's weird because bound back in interviews and again part of me wonders how much of this is award season conversation he said oh no 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 it's it's designed so that you're when you're with one of the characters you're with them fully and on their side fully ignoring the fact that there's a natural imbalance in the, the amount of screen time that well, that's gets, which is the, issue. Is the, I mean I think that I think he's, he's largely true in that regard largely uh, true with, 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 with some qualifications well, um it's also I think Greta Gerwig has come out and said like t- again talking about and doing interviews about it she said that like one of the things that defines Baumbach as a director is that he's literary he's defined uh, defined by people like uh Roth and Herzog and one of his things about his films is or one of the issues that people have with his films and it's interesting Gerwig is the one who makes this observation about them is that Baumbach wants to put a camera inside his protagonist's head but the nature of cinema is that the camera is obviously outside looking at the object right so there's a sense of and again if you've watched Baumbach's films like say Greenberg or even like uh, The Squid and the Whale with the father played by Jeff Daniels mm. uh, where his characters are incredibly abrasive and, and unlikable but in a way that literary protagonists are allowed to be <laughs> um, but like here I think that runs into an issue because you can see the film almost realizing that's a bad strategy in this way yeah. and so instead of picking one lane or two lanes instead of making it like an actual evenly distributed kind of two-hander it goes for like a 1.5 hander right so you end up with exactly si- right yeah. you end up yeah. with situations where you know netflix is releasing his and hers teasers for it or the post <laughs> the posters are scarlett johansson's face in los angeles and charlie's face in new york yeah. as if as if they are two co-leads mm. and I, I i kind of like that was i like the film a lot i really really do and i've watched it a couple of times and it's grown on me i really appreciate it we kind of mid my rankings for best picture but my big issue with it is that 
sense of it feeling calculated. And maybe that's a larger Baumbach thing, because Baumbach has, you know, obviously, point of comparison, we talked about Woody Allen, but he's also hugely influenced by Wes Anderson. He's worked with Wes Anderson on stuff like Rushmore, for example. Mm. He co-wrote The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, and a lot of his Baumbach's work often seems very but designed. What the, but what there's, well, yes, but what, there's, what there is to counteract that here, which there isn't in Wes Anderson, is there is something a little bit like genuine emotion. Yeah. Um, there's catharsis. There's all those things that you know that you get from um, dramas that, really, that are really invested in character and emotion, um, which you don't get in Wes Anderson for all the virtues, of, many virtues of his films. Um, so I, I think there is that as a counteract. I mean, when you talk about you know uh, a filmmaking that is strategically planned out to an inch of its life, I think too too often the films you're talking about don't have that going for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that, again, this is one of the things we talk about, like particular sequences in it and particular, um, like you mentioned, we want to talk about the Sondheim stuff. But we'll talk about the Sondheim stuff now. The film was reverse engineered from the Sondheim sequence. Um, apparently, the film developed over conversations with Adam Driver. Adam Driver's talked about the film as a conversation that began at dinner and ended at a movie studio. Um, but he, it began with, can I come up with a way for Adam Driver to perform Sondheim to have him perform a piece from company and then almost reverse engineering from that and there's an element of that to the film where it all feels it, it's kind of this this balance between being naturalistic and being spontaneous and being kind of slice of life but also feeling very designed and again like this thing well I don't I mean I, I, I think sorry but I think you can have an, you can have an, an emotional core to the film that feels believable without necessarily being naturalistic I mean it's not a particularly naturalistic film I mean it, it feels to a certain extent individuals I mean I should say before we get to this I mean I think it is a very cinematic piece of work not least because of the cinematography which has been I think overlooked we'll get to that in a minute but nonetheless individual scenes play out very much as they would on stage yeah. I mean I'll, yeah but I don't necessarily find that an enormous problem as long as as long as that's within an environment that still feels cinematic which it does I, I think it's worth noting as well how how important company is as a text for want of a better word among Manhattanites among <laughs> among New Yorkers yeah. uh, especially among um you know sort of the literati of New York I mean it's a it's a hugely hugely popular musical um and it and it has a real like New Yorkers have a real affinity for it because you know it's it's you know it's 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 something that's that it's really directly about them um so you know which is one of the reasons why it gets dusted dusted down so often and so so I think I think yeah I I because it's so evocative, I think, in the search to people like Noah, to people like Adam Driver who live in New York, yeah. um, you, you can see how you'd want to get that moment and to, and to make something around it that you know that's 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 worth seeing. I, I could see I could see and I, and I think how that works absolutely. And I think one of the um, issues I think people have with the film, which I don't have at all, uh, and they have with a lot of his films and films of other directors is that it emerges from a snooty, bohemian um, New York environment. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people say, why should I care about that? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Why, why should you, you care about anything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, <laughs> no, why, should you, why, you know, why should you care about you know, the characters you could, in Proust who are all kind of upper-class French could, blokes? Yeah. Why should you care about you know, the, Adam sweet, Driver's the Swedish cliff, people yeah. in, you know, in, in Ingmar Bergman films? Why should you care about the Colombians and Monos recently, for example? You know, yeah. I mean, shut up. 
<laughs> cinema has an empathy machine, basically. Yeah, yeah. You have to use the Sorry, Tara. No, no, it, but it's it. I, no, no, I, no, I completely agree with. That. I mean, you can you could certainly stand back and squint and say first world problems and yes. white problems yes. and all of those things. Um, and you could point directly at marriage story, and it would be true. Um, you but could, also, you which, couldn't, you could, you couldn't deny it. But but yeah. it's very unfair to just wild hypothesis. We're going to do it because of anyway. A lot of the same people would be rounding on Baumbach if he tried to make a film about like you know unemployed blue collar stick in your from lane north Stay dakota lane, yeah. you know they just say like what the hell does he know about you know an african-american lady from you know new orleans what the hell does he know about that what's he doing you know but this the, is this is the scorsese thing as well and again like to, to scorsese credit what scorsese does is he produces work by other people he produces yeah. work by female filmmakers by foreign filmmakers by african-american filmmakers uncut gems um, recently is a, is a exec scorsese producer on, exec, exec producer on yeah fantastic um i really think we loved on on uncut gems um yeah. but uh the thing with Baumbach, which is kind of interesting, and this kind of gets back to what we talked about and kind of alluded to, is the autobiographical elements of his films. Because obviously, and it's not even just the, the basic premise of his work as well, it's because um, obviously The Squid and the Whale about his parents' divorce, but particular scenes. So for example, in The Squid and the Whale, the sequence where the son comes home and the mother comes downstairs followed by the tennis pro, that actually happened uh, to Baumbach as a child. Mm-hmm. Apparently he said to her, this is like something from a movie, and then he put it in a movie. Um, and, like, and this is the thing where it gets almost uncomfortably self-referential, where Greta Gerwig has talked about how her story about watching a Rottweiler tear apart a puppy and laughing at it comes up in While We're Young. Um, But it's kind of interesting that then Nicole, who is his partner, who wants to become a director in her own right rather than just an actor, which perhaps has relevance to one of the women in Baumbach's life. She talks about how all of a sudden she'd see stories from her life materializing in Charlie's work and stuff like that as well. And there's kind of an awkward tension there. He's insisted it's not autobiographical, Mm. um, but at the same... Yeah. Yeah, well, you see, this is why I'm not entirely convinced about your notion about about someone putting their finger on the scales. I um, I, I think... I think think and like i said this to you actually when we came out of the cinema i think i think i said it to you and maybe it was somebody else who the hell knows? <laughs> the hell knows? Um, but um but but i think there's there's a pointed there's i think there's a, um the the woman that adam driver's character has had an affair with um the safe manager marianne note is noticeably maybe older than him certainly the same age but she's certainly not younger in the way that Greta Gerwig is <laughs> and she's certainly and I think that I think that's a pointed inclusion in the script oh we should we should be very clear here in case there's any insinuations or anything like that uh both Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig have been have very yes, clear in yes, stating yes, uh, particularly in a New Yorker profile piece released in 2013 shortly after the divorce was finalized yes that there was no inappropriate behavior yes. while they were working together during his marriage. Yes, I feel like we that. need to disclaim yes. that. I feel like we just need to actually physically what state that. Would Mandy Rice Davis say? Well, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, there, there is a lot of that there. And there's a lot, what's weird is like, it's not just bits from Jennifer Jason Lee. It's bits from, from Gerwig herself. Yeah. Like, I, I know that like, I know that, uh, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee, I think has done some direction, but not in the, the same extent that Gerwig has. Yeah. And the way that Gerwig talks about Baumbach reading her work and kind of almost being a little bit jealous of it or resentful of it. Um, kind of, of channels into this as well and it, it is a little bit uncut it's hard like again 
it's perhaps unfair to bring all that to the film, yeah. but the film almost invites it. And particularly the way that it's oh, been sure. framed. I, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would have been worried if I was her watching While We're Young, because mm. it, this idea that if, if, you, if you remember Adam Driver's character and then there's Amanda Seyfried and she's supposed to be, I think the phrase she uses is like, I'm the pretty girl who sticks her thumb out to, to get to get as the hitchhiker. <laughs> um, and um, in, or, in order to, to like sort of fool Ben, ben Stiller and what is ultimately a kind of a ruse mm. um but but yeah there's yeah i don't know it is sort of like someone came along and met a pretty female director and divided them into these two people and yeah so there is definitely something i, 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 yeah, I mean the, the, you all you could always say that there, there's no there, 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 my own relations are not involved in the creation of this work i mean everyone's similarly everyone's always going to kind of sort of like rub their nose and go okay if you say so uh i mean it's been going going on forever I mean, yeah like you know philip ross i married a communist okay it's not about his relationship with claire bloom okay if you say so philip that's fine um and so well, on i mean so you know not, not even back. you don't even have to go to indies and see it spielberg cinema is you know arguably inseparable from the man's own life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well the, yes i mean um but yeah so, so just in terms of marriage story in terms of anything else anything else that we haven't discussed already is there anything kind of jumping out at people anything that people kind of want to talk well, about yeah i wanted to say, to say one thing which is um it's a very particular thing and it shows national bias at um um i'm wrapping myself in the flag as well about somebody who i know i think it's interesting that Nobody even mentioned that last last year, as this is based around the Oscars, it's interesting. Everybody knew, well, everybody knew it was a pretty good chance that Robbie Ryan was going to get nominated for Best Cinematography. This year, no one ever considered it. And indeed, he wasn't when I got down to it. And it's kind of such a weird bias. It's like, well, it's not a weird bias. We're well used to it after all these years with the Oscars that, you know, the film that has the editing has the most editing. So yeah. 1917, despite being current but, favorite, didn't get a nomination because, you know, people think, well, because it's only cut together like in yeah. a relatively few shots. That's not editing. Lee Smith uh, sitting somewhere crying. Exactly. Tears, yeah. Exactly. So um, the, the, the film that has cinematography has the most cinematography. So, I mean, although there was like, you know, all those fisheye lenses in, fa- in, in the favorite, the reason the favorite got nominated was actually more because it was a period piece. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's those are the things that get nominated for Oscars. And I think the, the cinematography in Marriage Story is really excellent. One of his, it's one of his standout works, particularly in that way in which he injects space, physical space, to represent emotional space within interiors. <clears throat> that happens repeatedly. Because the space is excellent out here. Mm? The space is excellent out here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, that's, but that's the thing about cinematography. If you talk, if you talk to somebody, if you're talking about cinematography, people think about John Ford films. David and, Lean, and, and they yeah. think about David Lean. Yeah. They, they think about you know James Wong Howe. They think that they think about cinematographers like The Big Sky. They think yeah. about films like that, and they think about cinematography as taking place on a, on this kind of huge scale. And they think about sort of yeah. large tableau. They don't think about it in terms of small spaces or, or d- domestic spaces. And I remember having that conversation with, with actually with Lenny Abrahamson around the time of Room and about about how to make that cinematic. And it's like, the, the, but there's actually nothing in Room that would prevent it from being yeah. cinematic. Not at all. There's nothing by definition. It's just it. That's just not how we're we're wired to think about cinematography. We're wired to think about cinematography as 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 being this kind of large canvas. I mean. Nothing defines Bergman film more than Sven Nykvist's cinematography. Mm-hmm. Yet those films are rarely about big empty spaces. And, yeah, know, they're considered one of the great cinematic partnerships, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, uh, so, so anyway, so I mean, I'm sure Robbie would be delighted to have me mention his uh, name in the same yeah. paragraph as Sven Nykvist. But uh, but I think yeah, that's one thing that's well. And also, it also, I mean, that that 
also goes to the point as we're arguing for the virtues of this film to a certain extent to press home the, the fact that the fact that it's a domestic drama largely set in interiors without any great degree of violence or action does not in any sense and Tara kind of said this when she was talking about the conversation with Lenny does not in any sense make it less cinema- cinematic you know, that's you know, that, that is the notion that said that, that cinematic means um enormous planes and spaceships is preposterous and idiotic I will I will say another thing about cinematography in Marriage Story I think we're used to there's a certain and I guess it's a hang up from Antonioni films, but there's a certain sort of medium long shot that we've come to associate with people divorcing or, yeah, or, yeah. or, or you know, or, or people, you know, not getting along, getting along particularly on a camping trip uh, and that sort of thing. And it's, but there is, there's a certain like me, medium shot that's like pulled quite back and Todd Haynes uses it a lot. He quotes it a lot in his, in, in when, when, when he, when he's shooting miserable people, yeah. but, but um, they, and they, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't have any of that he doesn't go for the medium shot at all which is which is really interesting he goes for very very close framing yeah and typically cuts between them if i remember correctly and i mean again the great moment the big moment at the heart of the film the moment where charlie signs the divorce papers is a moment that cuts fades between the two on either side of the screen emphasizing how far apart they are which is is quite impressive as well we haven't actually talked about laura dern um at all which is interesting given she is the favorite for best supporting um actress and she's actually based on the real and again Back to back to whether or not the film is autobiographical. It's actually based on the lawyer who represented Jennifer Jason Lee, um, Laura Wasser, I think her name is, um, who is known as one of the great celebrity lawyers. Um, and she's actually, it's great when you read interviews with her. Does she um, have a book? Um, she probably has several books at this point. But she talks about how she does tours with the, um, around the local sports teams in Los Angeles. And like three times a year, she'll go around and she'll speak to them and she'll say, if you are going to impregnate somebody, do not do it in California. Because the uh, the laws there will leave you in a very precarious situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so apparently she's very much wired into the show business scene, uh, which is kind of fascinating. And she's talked about how seeing Laura Dern play herself, a lot they they shot in her office. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah the the yeah. sequence where Charlie's yeah. obviously meeting with Alan Alda. Right. Um, I know it's not actually Alan Alda, but meeting with the and obviously where they have the the meetings there. That's yeah. her office that they used, which is is interesting. Sorry, did you say she went around to sports people? The, Says, yeah, ha- like have a great game. And don't impregnate don't any people any in California. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like your, it's like your Uncle Buck quote. Oh, yeah, it's, it's about uh, bowling. It's exactly, yes, it's a great sport and it's almost impossible to get pregnant while playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no, she'd actually be brought around. So they do like little, um, they'd gather the team together and have a little talk about it. Um, so, and have to do it three times a year, which is what I find the most interesting part of it, which perhaps shows how, um, how Priapic. little retention there is. <laughs> yes. Sorry, retention as well, sorry. There's just a greater instance of what happening. I, yeah, I'm not that into the Laura Dern performance and I'm not that into the Laura Dern character. And I just, I think there's a certain kind of performance that a woman of that age does that gets rewarded because they're they're a flinty career woman who has turned their turned their back on family and and this this is this is what they are and that's the kind of role that women of that age are allowed to play and are allowed to excel in and i'm i'm always slightly wary of that i think uh, this is the sort of the uh, to be fair the film does open by clarifying like she clarifies that she still drops the kids off she has a boyfriend she has a stable and again this is yeah, but, yeah, but, the hand you know, on the scale she, that, uh, well that was what you were saying earlier on that feels a little bit like yes yeah. that um, uh, uh, excusing what's going to come later on I mean I, I, I think well as far as the performance goes and as far as how it's rated and it does seem yes uh, very likely that it'll win, that it'll win uh, um, best supporting actress um, it has a lot of the things I think 
target to some of them that that, that that tends to attract voters in the academy and of course she's got one 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 big scene and that oh the, the big, big speech the big speech which, which she has. apparently broke down and kind of if you believe the kind of award season chatter she broke down in kind of tears of joy reading and apparently made one alteration to that that speech herself which and was this is a the, speech about 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 how women the the in, in in relationship in in these sort of negotiations are discriminated against yeah. and are judged in yeah. ways that men aren't and of course that's that is it also works well in, in, for the character in the sense that it's that it sort of gives you the impression you can argue that look all this dreadful stuff that she does beforehand is in the service of a higher aim this idea which is which i mean i frankly got lawyers i don't believe it but <laughs> but no, you can you yeah. can argue that in, the, in the service of a higher aim which is her or for her which is her well i don't beliefs. care j-lo was robbed j-lo j-lo <laughs> should have got best supporting actress this year it was the best role it was the one with the most heavy lift lifting she played a blinder all the way through no no robbed robbed, robbed, robbed. um sorry andrew you're gonna say something no i i was i was i was just gonna say that it's um it seemed to me as if we we're 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 not meant to kind of well, it seemed to me anyway that we're 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 that we weren't meant to support or identify with laura Dern's character mm-hmm. but that that speech was to kind of help us understand why um She's doing the way, why, that, why, why it's happening the way that yeah, it's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, like how how she was seduced by this lawyer. Like we're 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 I I yeah, I, I feel like we're meant to understand that they're terrible. Well, yeah, lawyers it's, it's, and yeah. is that that's the thing because that that's not the scene with Laura Dern that I think about. Oh. Actually, it's not the big speech sequence. The bit of, it's the seduction scene that you mentioned. It's the bit where you have the long take of Scarlett Johansson talking about how you know little by little she disappeared. But you have Laura Dern sitting there being very firm and being like, "Well, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have mm. to do that." And then that's followed by the scene of Laura Dern ringing Charlie uh, and and being the kind of bad cop as yeah. it were to, to Nicole. And yeah, I wonder if there is an element of that. Again, this is the hand on the scale thing where it's like if Nicole were pushing that herself, it would seem unreasonable or unfair and the film would again open itself up to those arguments that we talked about where it's like whose side is it on? But by offloading that almost to the lawyer character, does it is it is it being a bit canny, a bit sly? Yeah, well, there's there's no such thing as offloading onto a lawyer. Whenever you hear anyone use the phrase, oh, let's just leave it to the lawyers, you can be damn sure they're pushing the lawyer. That's that's just the end of the story. Well, it's sort of, it's sort of like, it's like, 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 public, like uh, actress PRs and publicists yeah. is that, you know, that um, the, the notion is always, well, you know, I mean, that um, uh, it's not it's really my fault. It's just their PR that's it's a It's just a PR. <laughs> exactly. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. They be the asshole for the, uh, the, public, the public asshole for the private asshole. My publicist said that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Yes, that's 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 yeah. just terrible. Um, but I, I yeah, it's, and it's interesting how they play the lawyers. That they have almost have a kind of a spectrum of lawyers, don't they? That, yes, the, um, the Alan which, Alda lovable what runs yeah. from Ray Liotta through Laura Dern to Alan Alda. Um, it, I mean, Ray Liotta makes none of the apologies that that um, that, that Laura Dern's character almost makes. Yeah. He, he he doesn't have any kind of grand speeches about misrepresentation. He's just going to rot Viler from day one, and that's his Apparently, only mode. Based on, and again, this is probably why Ray Liotta doesn't have a supporting actor nomination, but not based on a real person so much as reading the New York Post is apparently his, yeah. it was his preparation for that role. Was uh, it eat, drink and remarry? Yes, is the little sort of... Um, yeah. I, 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 I want Alan Alda to represent me when I get divorced. Do you, do you know the ending of the joke? 
No. Oh, I, I yes. Did, I did, I forgot. The very no. expensive joke. <laughs> the very, very expensive joke. Uh, well, we'll reveal it How here much on... are you going to charge for this? <laughs> um, well, we're winding up, so we'll reveal it at the at the end here. So just to close out for our listeners, uh, the joke is, you know, a woman goes to, to a hairdresser, and the hairdresser's like, so what are you doing? You're going to, to Rome. It's like, oh, okay, how are you getting there? What, what you're flying? Air Italia. Oh, Air Italia's terrible. What are you going to do? When, where are you staying when you get there? I'm saying the Four Seasons. Four Seasons is terrible. Oh, uh, what are you going to do when you get there? Oh, I'm going to go see the Vatican. Go see the Pope. It's like, oh, you'll be standing in line all day. It's going to be terrible. So she flies off. Uh, she comes back and she sits down with the hairdresser, and the hairdresser's like, "Oh, so how'd it go?" And flight was great. Okay, how was the uh, you know hotel? Hotel was lovely. Couldn't have asked for better. And uh, how was it when you went to the Vatican? It's like, oh yeah, I actually bumped into the Pope. He said, "Who cuts your hair?" <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, um, yeah. Sorry. So yes, that that is. I hope that was worth the listen. But uh, anyway, before we wrap up, is there anything else anybody else wants to talk about uh, with Mara's story? Anything that we haven't covered already? Anything that is kind of worthy of discussion? Anything I don't think so. Might... I, 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 Tara, I, mean, I, I, had a, I had a list which I think uh, we, we've hammered through. I think pretty much. Uh, I would say. Well, I mean, I, I would sort of put a few hands up for the sporting sporting players I've mentioned. Judy Haggerty. What great to see Judy Haggerty back again. Yeah, which and is- it's kind of you know, it's, it's someone whoever she pops up again. I always kind of forget who she is. And I think who's this? This is someone I really like. Oh, it's Judy Haggerty, of course, from Airplane. <laughs> and almost every time I kind of forget that... Um... She's had a miniature renaissance recently as well. She was the grandmother on a TV show. I can't remember whether it was The Middle or something oh, like that she, as well, okay. I believe. Um, so she's had, which is good the to grandmother. see. grandmother. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's where we are now. <laughs> I know, yeah. um, she, she's, not, she's not quite Laura Dern. She's not yeah. ba- uh, dating baby Yoda, um, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> according to I was, I was surprised to see Rich Fulcher as the judge. I feel like kind of when the... Uh, Is he the judge lo- in that scoring scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the lawyers come in, they're like, oh no, it's rich bullshit. We've no idea what's going to happen now. <laughs> but it was very, it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was very restrained. It was, it was, it was, it was a strange bit of casting because he's like he's somebody known for playing very zany characters and only and, has two lines and even as a <laughs> you look at him as a judge and he has the look that he's going to be a um, like an eccentric um, character and just isn't so why is it rich culture <laughs> um, and also I'll plus uh, Wall Shawn as, as yeah. my own yeah. Wall Shawn is kind of wasted which I think which I think is really unfortunate I mean he should have been given a little bit he just sort of I don't know if I felt like you know he sort of comes in and just goes out again he sprinkles really... some Wall Shawn authority about the place <laughs> which just, yeah, there was nothing in the script he just showed up <laughs> yeah it, that's what it feels like it, didn't feel, it feels like Bowfinger they like accidentally shot him and like included him in the film or something but yeah it, it doesn't feel like it's a purposeful one other thing we should do a one quick one word I think around the table thing on is the music which has divided people the Randy uh, Newman the score. Randy Newman score has divided people nominated um, for your Oscar isn't it is, is I believe it, it is yes yeah. um, uh, I like it and I love to think it's too much and think that it's it it, it takes over the scenes because uh, um, it's very big and melodic and all those sort of things I like it I like I like that kind of slightly jaunty tone that you go throughout that plays against the drama no I wasn't into the jauntiness I to me it was like tipping into the whimsy and I was like <laughs> no I'm not, I'm not going down to the whimsy I'm not going I'm not going there no it was no to me to me it went went a little bit too you know I, yeah, it, it went it went a bit too randy. That's where it went. Well, I didn't realize until the end, until the credits ran, that it was a. a it has a, a bit of a, a kind of a Toy Story human. jaunt to it. Yes, yeah, yeah, but I, I like there was no kind You've of. You've got next um, wife and me. <laughs> gonna take an apple. <laughs> no, yeah. So it, I, 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 I didn't find it too um, intrusive. Really. I actually, I, I quite liked it. Again, probably for the more the reasons that Donald Donald specified there, which is that. 
like as a Baumbach film goes, this is a more accessible and less acerbic version than we're used to. It's a lot less bite than something like even Greenberg like the, or while yeah, we're still young. Yeah, the squid and the whale. Yeah, is the yeah, obvious yeah. example in terms of like Baumbach divorce films. Um, this is much less acidic than that. It's much yeah. less sort of like it's much less the vicious. The squid and the whale, you can see why these people <laughs> have left each other. This feels like a mystery, um, like a kind of a who done it up until kind of like a certain point. But it, 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 I, I, I feel like saying something about to me anyway what this movie said and may, I, I I do apologize for, for arriving at the end you may have already discussed this in length but it's to to do with the the um, uh, all or nothing kind of nature of um, of, of, of marriage or the, the kind of increased expectations like in our in in, in the um, generation since the 60s that that that's it's not just enough that they that they um uh live in your zip code and you seem to get on okay with them they also have to help you um become the best, best person you, you can hand but not put too much pressure on you that you you feel that they um don't accept you and um to kind of uh, lift you up to the kind of um maslow's mountain um, this is kind of again interesting we are winding up but, but very yeah. quickly actually because everyone loves statistics right uh, one of the interesting things about statistics is like the commonly cited fact is that every marriage or one in every two marriages ends in divorce uh, which was true in the states around about 2000 and again it's notable that the film is set in California which is the state that kind of popularized the idea of no-fault divorce and is seen as the divorce capital of the US the no-fault divorce began there and sort of swept across the rest of the nation as a result but what's interesting is that actually in the 20 years since the turn of the millennium the divorce rates actually dropped um depending on which surveys you look at you have it's only four in ten which is woo i guess much much more optimistic but or three in ten uh marriages that actually end in divorce Isn't that because the marriage rate has also dropped is uh, not a direct consequence of that it is indeed it's also up there with married later, later marriage, more seriously people, yeah. people yeah. getting married later yeah. as well and and also like arguments again about people arguably not being able to afford getting divorced yeah. which is yeah. a problem of itself yeah. but again yeah. not because it correlates it does correlate with the great depression with the sort of with the downturn in 2008 yeah. as well but what's interesting and has been pointed out is that while you know we we read celebrity gossip and stuff like that and there's everybody's getting divorced and we talked about how this movie has maybe some autobiographical undertones to it um apparently actually Hollywood and particularly the upper class Hollywood and particularly upper class California is actually remarkably stable in terms of marriages. There's a much lower divorce rate than the rest of California and the rest of the states as well, which is one of the interesting things about marriage stories that it's maybe not entirely representative. And you see the film sort of gesture at that when Alan Alda says, you know, the system's not designed for people like you. Right. Uh, it's designed to protect. And you see that again when they're in the courtroom before Ray Liotta shows up where you have the, the families yelling at each other in different languages even mm. uh, in the halls of the court. It's kind of, it's, it's an interesting sort of kind of contrast i think between the kind of idea that we have of divorce and kind of what the film presents and stuff it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. thought there's something in that yeah i think to go back to the point you make it made about it being less acerbic i think it's precisely as acerbic a film as you'd made inspired by real events 
you know, and a real divorce from a real wife who you share custody with a child with. That's fair. I think it's exactly as acerbic as it needs to be. <laughs> that's that's probably fair. You don't want that coming up again. Um, all right then. So I think that about wraps it up. Uh, what we normally do before we finish is we ask our guests to maybe recommend something for listeners. So if there's something that you're enjoying at the moment, and, and you guys are obviously film critics, so you can recommend a film if you want, but even if you want to recommend music or even like a Twitter account you're enjoying, just something you want to share to bring more joy into the world. Now to give you a chance to think about that, I'm going to ask Andrew first. Okay. Um, I would I oddly just read something today. I I guess firstly I'm going to recommend um uh, pockets. It's a good way of kind of um, if you do spend time on your phone, to of of curating it a bit where you get interesting kind of articles. Oh, you mentioned ver- this versus, as a social media yeah. thing as opposed to Twitter where it's just exactly. a, a fire yeah. hose. Um, and there there was there was there was an article from the Atlantic uh, by Olga Kazan about um, how we expect too much from our romantic partners. Because a book that I had read by someone who's no longer an authority on romance was uh, Aziz oh, Ansari's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Modern Romance, which hasn't really aged well, but there's some interesting stuff in it. So Funny yeah, how if, I knew exactly where I was going. <laughs> so uh. if you want to avoid re- reading that, um, there's there's a, a kind of an interview, um, but it's with the it's with the author of uh, Eli Finkel, um, who 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 wrote the the All or Nothing Marriage. I I, I thought it was interesting, and it was one way of looking at. It. I know there are a lot of other people kind of writing about these kind of topics, like I believe Land Botham has recently written something, which is interesting. The way um Alan de Botton, um uh books are in 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 the sense that sometimes you get the sense that he's been a bit maybe too clever um but um yeah it's it's interesting nonetheless. And Tara, do you have anything you'd like to recommend? There's actually a lot of good stuff around at the moment because we're still on residual sort of Oscar season. Um, Uncut Gems, which was ignored entirely by um, the Academy and really shouldn't have been. Like, I think Adam Sandler's terrific in it. Um, and I think it's, it's like it's a completely nerve-wracking film. Um, there's, a, there's a few things obviously coming out. Lighthouse is fantastic, um, like really properly gothic and really connects with sort of Edgar Allan Poe Americana in in a way that like not enough stuff does. Um and then obviously Parasite incoming as well, like really, really worth saying. And again, all of those kind of tie back almost to Mara's story. I mean, The Light has been described as a horror movie about the horror of having a roommate, basically, at its <laughs> core. Um, and actually, I will go for Uncut Gems as well. I did appreciate that Adam Sandler, when he was doing the press for Uncut Gems, uh, famously boasted that if they don't give me an Oscar nomination for this, I'm going to make the worst Being Netflix comedy <laughs> and they're all going to pay. Like we'd notice the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Which I kind of admire. And Donald, do you have anything you'd recommend? Uh, well, uh, the... the Sticking with the Oscar season for a minute. Well, actually, sticking, I'll tell you one thing I'd recommend. This is not a particularly original thought, but it's interesting in it and totally ignored by awards season is Armando Iannucci's David Copperfield, which, uh, speaking as a Dickensian, we are in my house and I look behind me, you will see the Dickens books arranged behind me. Um, There's a kid uh, sweeping the, uh, <laughs> the chimney. <laughs> the, ur- well. the urchins were a bit of a hint. Which is terrific. And, and, and the reasons why it's terrific, we haven't got time to go through, but it's it does something I'm not, I don't often argue for and it's quite faithful and, and packs a lot of the book into two hours which is something I would normally not recommend but it does it brilliantly but kind of interesting in that it, it, it first thing to say is it, it is in terms of it's being ignored rewards season is it doesn't qualify for Oscars because not released in the United States until May but astonishing is completely ignored by BAFTA I mean it's the sort of yeah, film that yeah. in the old days BAFTA it's would really have eaten up 
but it, it's disgraceful, be, not least because, firstly, they had their whole issue with um, uh, with lack of diversity in their acting nominations, yeah. and David Copper, one of the famous... Would obviously have solved that, yeah. It's a wildly diverse casting with Death Patel, uh, and, uh, and a British Asian actor playing the, the lead. Um, and so I think you know th- that that would have helped them sort out that problem. And the, the fact is they now, all BAFTA cares about now really, well, I'm being unfair to the members, but it is dominated by its role as an Oscar prognosticator. Yeah. And as, there as was, part of the Gold and Derby. because there was no Oscar campaign, they ended up with one nomination for the new category of casting. Uh, I'd also point out a film which I think has just got lost a little bit, which is um, Marielle Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, which um, I think has run into a problem is that people in the States thought it was going to be a Mr. Fred Rogers biopic, which it isn't. He's um, a supporting character. Isn't he's it? a supporting character. He's a, by uh, Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks, who plays him, was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor. Um, uh, and, um, uh, and in this case, it's not category fraud. He is definitely a supporting actor in that. And that film's got lost. And over here is a problem that no one knows who Mr. Rogers is. Yeah. Um, and I would say, go and see this, even if you've no idea, which you probably don't, about, about who he is. Um, and also, in terms of books I've read recently, I would give a shout out to Dreyer's English, the uh, Ben Dreyer, the uh, um, great uh, copy editor, has published a guide to English last year. It was an American version of that. They published a British version, the UK UK English version, I should say, which is therefore relevant to us because that's the, the version we use in this country. Um, and it's incredibly funny and amusing. And also, I will say, um, he I am thanked as one of the acknowledgements in the back section because he asked for contributions on Twitter and I gave him one. So I recommend Dreyer's English to anybody who's interested in language. Nice. Um, and it's worth noting that a lot of those films are actually coming out in, in the coming week. Uh, Uncut Gems will be released on fr- uh, previous Friday, so yesterday on uh, Netflix. Uh, the Lighthouse will be in cinemas yesterday on Netflix. David Copperfield has been in cinemas for a week and will continue to be. Um, and Parasite is coming out next week. So all that stuff to look forward to as well. In terms of brief recommendations for me, um, I would recommend another marriage story featuring a supporting performance from Mark O'Brien, Ready or Not, the horror movie from last year. Charlene uh, Lydon from The oh, Lighthouse yeah, is on. I like that. Um, great, yeah. It is. I, I'm kind of half tempted to be a little bit provocative and say it's the best marriage story starring Mark O'Brien um, but uh, people can that, see your face in that niche category it's yeah it's the yeah, was that, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah it's right up there with the, the competing Oscar for the best performance of a Stephen Sondheim musical number in a film this year um, and then also uh, because this is on Netflix uh, what Jack did or what did Jack do uh, which is the David Lynch short from 2017 oh, yes. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which is now available which is uh, similarly themed around like Marriage Story again because I'm really reaching here mm-hmm. um, it is a story about love about passion about romance and it's in shot in a style that you don't really see anymore for anybody who's not familiar with it David Lynch himself plays a detective in a 50s style film noir who interrogates a talking monkey who may have murdered another person as part of his affair with a chicken named Tutumbek. It features David Lynch, you've done it again. <laughs> um, it also features a wonderful closing musical number and a note that I think we can all end on and I think sums up Marriage Story Beautiful, which is real love is like a banana. Sweet with a golden hue. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Tara, and thank you very much, Donald. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next week. Actually, we're going to be doing something a bit interesting because we're trying to get the films covered for the Oscars. So we'll be releasing midweek uh, with Little Women, with Charlene Lydon um, and Rena McGregor, and also hopefully Aoife Barry from The Journal. And then on Saturday before the Oscars, we'll be releasing uh, 1917, the presumed frontrunner. Myself and Andrew will be discussing that. Don't worry, we'll be taking a weekend off uh, sometime after that in order to balance the universe. Uh, take these guys. We'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday. Bye. Bye.